What is up, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined by Ocean Trail. Ocean, thank you so much for being here. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm stoked to be here. Um, it's, yeah, my second podcast, official podcast, and I was stoked to hear that there are a couple of requests to get me on here. Yeah, yeah, we've gotten a good amount of requests. And I, I personally, I've followed you for quite a while. I really, really appreciate your content. I know we talk about a lot of similar things. And one of the things that I wanted to really dig into today was just around this topic of building muscle for women. But first, if you don't mind, can you just give us a quick background on who you are and what you're up to? Yeah, totally. So um, I'm really excited to talk about this too. So some background on me. Uh, my name is actually Ocean Trail. I think I get that Coolest all the time. Name. Like, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I think people just think my it's an Instagram handle or it's like a stage name, but it's like my actual birth given name. My parents aren't hippies. Um, I, I get that. I got that a lot, especially like living in the Pacific Northwest for the last 10 years. But um, right. yeah, so a uh, little bit, I guess, unique stuff about me is I was born in Zimbabwe, Africa. Um, I moved to the United States when I was 12. Um, my family immigrated to California in 2002 from a third world country. So, you know, it was a dictatorship at the time. And we kind of have this like cool like fairy tale story of coming to the land of opportunity so um you know my family definitely has that vibe like I moved here with my immediate family my mom my stepdad and my three brothers younger brothers and we uh you know we all have like kind of come to the land of opportunity and created a life for ourselves. like three of us were division one athletes um I'm a you know business owner my second the second oldest is a police officer the third oldest is um, a firefighter and the fourth oldest actually just did the combine this last weekend at the, oh, the draft. So we're pretty athletic family. I'm 5'10 and like the shortest, smallest person in the family. So <laughs> um, it's pretty cool to have that like background. So that I think that kind of like gives you some insight into like my background. And uh, as I mentioned, I'm a former student athlete. I swam division one in college. I did sprint freestyle, sprint butterfly and anchored like all of the relays. So that's pretty cool. And like my, um, on my athletic side, um, who I am in general, like I'm a fitness and nutrition coach. I'm the owner and founder of my business, Eyeball Fitness. Um, I'm really incredibly passionate about teaching people how to eat and train so they look like they lift without giving up their life. And, um, you know, I think my, my bread and butter is really just one-on-one -on -one coaching. Um, I do mm. nutrition and training, but I would say, you know, more recently, I just created an online subscription to uh, hypertrophy strength, um, strength and hypertrophy programming called Sustainably Jacked. And it's, uh, yeah, just like a, a subscription-based programming for people who, you know, just want good programming that can't necessarily afford one-on-one -on -one coaching or really it was just uh, actually came about for my one-on-one -on -one clients who like don't necessarily need as much coaching support and they wanted mm -hmm. like good, good workouts and still being able to like, you know, ask me questions without like the support of the I touch one-on-one. -on -one. So yeah, that's, that's a little bit of me in a nutshell. That is such a dope backstory. I had no idea that your family was from Zimbabwe. And also you said it wasn't until you were 12 that you immigrated here. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, I sound very American. I'm very like immersed in the culture here, but it's funny whenever mm -hmm. I, um, whenever I'm around my parents or like, uh, I have a lot of my family still lives in Zimbabwe. Uh, I, my accent comes out and it's so funny when I, when I first started dating my husband, my, my now husband, 
I remember speaking <laughs> to my family on the phone and he legit was like, who is this person <laughs> that I'm dating? She has a completely <laughs> different accent. That is, so. that is so cool. I had no idea about that. Um, and you said you were a D1 swimmer as well. Yes. Um, like my family's just like in super competitive, like incredibly athletic. Like we're all built like athletes, you know, thankfully for like us, thanks, you know, for good, good genetics and like killer work uh-huh. ethic. I think, you know, we coming from a third world country to a first world country was very much like, yeah, you work hard and you know, the results will come, but you got to put in that yeah. time. No, absolutely. I, in high school, so one year, me and a bunch of my buddies thought like swim team would just be like fun and you could just like jack around and do whatever. We had no idea. So we like all went out for swimming one year, had no idea how hard that would be. I like, my coach told me big sausage arms because apparently like my arm just like wailed <laughs> in the water. I guess like big sausages would, I, I don't know. It was, an, it was an interesting year, but anyways, uh, thank you for sharing all that. that that's super cool. Um, so to get into today's topic, which Ian is very much going to be centered around building muscle for women, I also want to dig into reverse dieting a little bit. But first of all, why do you think it's important that women spend time focused on building muscle in the first place? Like, what are the biggest benefits you see here? Yeah, totally. I think, um, you know, having been born in the 90s, I feel like I grew up in this culture that like smaller is better, like, you know, being skinny is a good thing. And um, I think that having grown up in athletics, um, you know, I think that having worked really hard and uh, I, I think I just, I, for me, like building muscle is, it was like the answer to all of my problems. Like growing up, I think I just really like well, I, I guess let me just rephrase this. Like, I think people's goal body probably has more muscle than they think it does. I think most people's fitness careers, I'd venture to guess, are always based around cutting and dieting to see development that they don't really have. And I think for myself, like my whole like fitness journey was really born out of frustration. Like I was a division one athlete. I was like really competitive and, you know, I had decent baselines of like nutrition and training in place, but like, um, I guess I never like physically looked and felt the way I wanted to. And I think I always, I was like always chasing this idea of like being skinny and that smaller was better. And that like a specific number, you know, on the scale was like what defined my success. And so I think that, um, you know, when people, what I didn't realize when I was younger was in order to like get that aesthetic, to get that look and to get that feel that I wanted, like it actually involved like putting in muscle. And I think when people, you know, want to improve how they look. Um, the biggest thing they overlook is putting on muscle. Um, and so I think, you know, building muscle is like the key to longevity, the key, the key to like getting what you want physically, mentally. And, um, you know, I think, yeah, I don't know if that that answers the question. No, no, very well. I think I always like to make the point that like, past a certain point in your career, we can no longer continue to add muscle tissue or like where can we can add a lot less muscle tissue if we're also trying to do so while dieting again, like past a certain point, it's just going to become much harder to do so. Right. But mm-hmm. I just anecdotally, like so many women I see kind of stuck in this trap where it is like, Hey, I do want to change my shape. Right. I don't just want to see myself get skinnier. But again, like when we're trying to pair that with dieting, like we can't actually, we change our shape through adding muscle to our frame, right? But then there's like Mm -hmm. the fuel isn't, like even if we're getting the right stimulus within our training, 
the fuel isn't there from a nutritional perspective to actually build, right? So that's, that's what I think that's how so many people get stuck in the cycle of like always dieting and trying to build at the same time. And it kind of just leads to nowhere. Totally. It's, I mean, I think that a lot of people want to like, quote unquote, like look toned, but they don't mm-hmm. really realize that you can't tone up without building muscle. And, you know, being toned is having muscle definition. I think, you know, especially like in social media and just, uh, I think Instagram is like, at least it is for me, is very saturated with fitness and people, Mm -hmm. you know, will see, you know, someone who has, who is toned, but they don't really realize that that actually has like a decent amount of either, I mean, A, also really great genetics, B, you know, time invested in yeah, doing an continuity with something, right? Like some sort of resistance training. Um, and then, uh, yeah, eating to support that. And I think that for most people, I would venture to guess that, um, you know, you, you can't, like, I, I like to think of it as like getting lean is only ever going to reveal the amount of muscle that you already have. And so investing in, uh, learning how to build and eat and train to like actually add muscle tissue there. So that way you can uh, implement a, you know, a periodized deficit to reveal that, like, that's truly where, um, I think that's what people, uh, should be focusing on. No, absolutely. Because I think so many people fall in the trap of like getting so lean to the point where they feel terrible calories are super low, but they still don't have the shape that they want. So they think the answer is like, okay, I just need to keep dieting further. When it's like, actually we need to take time away from dieting. We need to take time focused on building. And again, as you said, like once we go through a periodized deficit in the future, then we can uncover like all this new shape you've added. But again, we like have to take a smarter approach to this. So, and then actually yeah. topic that comes up quite a bit is kind of this conversation around like a building phase versus a recomp phase. So I would just ask in general to start, and like when I say recomp, just for clarity for the listener, we're talking about body recomposition, which is building muscle, losing fast, I don't pain sleep. Um, just in general, do you often suggest women try to recomp or just enter a pure building phase? Talk us through that. Yeah. Um, I think as like much things in fitness, right. It's going to be, it it depends. Like it really just depends on who's in front of you. Um, you know, their background and their training age, their just experience in general. Um, I would say like 99.9% of the time I like to start people in a recomp phase, Mm -hmm. like setting up a baseline where we kind of do an audit of where they're at and like meeting them there. Um, I think again, not to just lump people into boxes, but I do think that people, you know, most people don't know how to train. They don't know how to eat. They, they don't have a lot of their, like, I call them like daily minimums in place, like their, their sleep, their nutrition, um, like, yeah, just all of the little things that really come into play. And so I think that, you know, most people could honestly fall into a category of recomping, at least starting out, um, because, you know, we look at their sleep, we look at their nutrition, we look at like all of the the 1% things that, you know, I'm a big fan of like a little plus a little equals a lot in getting there wherever there is and dialing, you know, setting up a foundation or a baseline with uh, all of those things before we kind of dive into anything specific like fat loss or muscle building specifically. And I couldn't agree more. I feel like most people, when they start the coaching process, have a good amount of recomp on the table. Because as you said, like there's so many variables that go into this and most people just haven't had all those variables dialed in, right? Like, hey, maybe you have been doing well with your training, but your nutrition and your sleep and your stress management haven't been on point, right? So that's very much a little hanging fruit where we can 
basically have more fuel in the tank for recomp, so to speak, or vice versa. Again, like maybe your nutrition has been pretty solid, but we can really, really improve what you're doing with your training and again, see much better results. Um, what are kind of the scenarios where you would push someone to like, so what would the client have to, or like, what would be the case that you're looking for for someone where it is, we do just want to push you into a building phase rather than trying to recall. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, like I said, I would 99.9% of people, I would have them do a recomp phase. Um, the biggest thing honestly is like, again, not to sound like holier than thou. Cause I definitely started from zero ground zero as well. But like, I just don't think people actually know how to train properly and what that means to like truly, um, push themselves. You know, it's like, Oh, like it hurts. Like it's, you know, like being able to really push yourself into like that two RIR, one RIR, RPE nine, RPE 10 place. Like no one, I I think unless you have like a, a background rooted in like competitive sports per se, or like, yeah, I, I think that most people don't know how to train properly. And again, that's not to sound like I'm God or anything. <laughs> it just, it, 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 it's <laughs> like to, to have that work ethic and like know what it means to like push your limits is, um, it's a learned skill. Like lifting is a learned skill. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to answer that question, like that 0.01% of people that are coming to me and like looking to make gains, it's like either I've worked with them before, or I am familiar with that. They are, you know, they've maybe come from another supportive training program, or they've had a, you know, an evidence-based coach before and they understand like, Oh, I know how to do warm-up sets. I know how to do my working sets. Like, you know, I think being able to truly maximize a training program is like it takes a lot of time and effort and skill, and that zero point one percent will fall into that category. So, um, I guess if that person came to me, they've got their all of their stuff dialed in, which is a rare gem find. Yeah, very <laughs> um, much. Like, I, I mean. Yeah, I I can't say I've really ever had anybody like that. Um, you know, maybe another coach in the space, like who someone is like familiar and just kind of wants like perspective and accountability in their journey. And they have a lot mm. of things like dialed in. But um, yeah, I think once every, I, I, yeah, like I said, I, it's hard to say because I just start every one of the recomp phase just to like really maximize like, you know, squeezing that juice first. And then once right. that's squeezed, then we can look into something more specific. And so, you know, again, everybody's timeline is going to be different. If someone is more advanced and their training age is there and they have like a decent background and they, or like they've come from powerlifting or CrossFit or something, then, you know, we, I would say like we could spend like six weeks, like really focused on that foundational phase, like checking mm-hmm. off habits and then diving into something more specific, like, okay, cool. Like, you know, how our relationship with the scale is good. Our relationship with food is good. Like it's so nuanced and there's so many little things that go into this. And it's, uh, you know, to me coaching, I'm sure as you already know, it's, it's more than just like, here's your nutrition, here's your numbers. Like it's building rapport and building a relationship and, um, you know, meeting that person where they're at essentially. And that's just, it's, it's, yeah, it, it just takes time and trust and good communication to have that happen. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, on a similar note to that, again, and as far, as far as the building phases go, like I, I agree. I feel like so many, uh, most people that hop on board initially do have a good amount of recomp. And again, like the exceptions that typically are like, Hey, I've worked with another coach previously. Maybe I am a coach myself or like we've worked together previously or we've gone through like a recomp phase and now it is time to like enter building phase. But again, I think typically people have a lot more on recomp a lot more recomp in them than they might initially expect. Um, mm-hmm. When we're talking about this, so like when we are talking about like, hey, your goal right now is building, 
right? We're not pushing for fat loss. Um, how do you kind of talk through people through being okay with the scale going up? Just talk us through like what that looks like with clients. Yeah, I, I, for for myself personally, like I, this was like the biggest epiphany that I had in my fitness journey was like acknowledging that uh, muscle weighs something. Like it was just like right. as simple as that. But you know, if, if you're truly looking to change your physique and like build um, that, you know gaining weight or doesn't have to be fat or whatever, but like gaining weight isn't necessarily a bad thing. And that weighing more can actually be a positive thing. Whereas like my whole life, I felt like either, you know, projected, I think society, societally projected on me or like even like my mom and my grandma's kind of beliefs of being smaller, you know, uh, like challenging that narrative of like, Hey, maybe, um, maybe weighing more is a good thing. (laughs) And, and so, um, I think, uh, being okay with the scale going up. So certainly again, I, I know that like one-on-one coaching or like working with someone is a luxury. Like it isn't something that everybody can do. Um, but if you have the means to invest in working with a one-on-one with a coach, like highly, highly recommend, like it's kind of one of those things like, yes, it's an investment, but it, again, I'm, I'm very biased here, but investing in like working with someone for a whole year could literally change the trajectory of your whole entire life. Like the way that you show up in how you do things, like how you think about food, how you navigate the gym. Like it is an investment, but it is an investment in you. And ultimately, um, I think having that coach and that perspective and that accountability partner, motivational spanker is very helpful to, you know, give you, yeah, like be your GPS system through whatever pursuits you have in in mind. Um, So in terms of like, if you're looking to build muscle, um, there's certainly a lot of boxes that need to be checked. Like we have, again, those foundational things that we talked about, like, uh, your, your sleep is in check, your nutrition's mostly dialed in, um, your stress is managed. Okay. Like you consistently commit to going three to four days in the gym. You understand what training intensity is, what RIR is like when you have all of those going in and you're like, cool, like I've, I've got my bases covered. I want to invest in building muscle. Um, you know, I think setting someone up with the expectation of like, okay, you want to build muscle. We may potentially see some body recomp, which is exciting. But mm-hmm. when we kind of have maxed that out, we need to like look at increasing, you know, maybe bumping up your calories a little bit. Um, and then setting the expectation of like the scale is going to go up. Your clothes are going to feel different. Um, you, you may need to like size up in certain things. Um, you know, you're, you're going to feel like you're, just to get something you've never had, you're going to have to do something you've never done. And that's going to be uncomfortable. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, I I think being, being comfortable with the scale going up is like, again, muscle weighs something like it, it, it doesn't have to be demonized as bad. And it is like a byproduct of building muscle. But, um, you know, when it comes to the scale, like, I feel like I'm, I sit in both sides of the thing. I feel like on one side, there's like people yelling, like, you know, I, I, cause I really dig, I also appreciate like intuitive eating and like the whole like mindfulness side of eating. Right. But then I also have this like bodybuilding, like evidence-based background. And so I try to like meet in the middle of like, Hey, you know what? Like we have this, like a lot of females or a lot of people just in general, like have this like ingrained, like scale is needs to be going down to see success. And then, right. uh, and then, so I think people are either saying, you know, throw it, throw the scale away, like don't weigh yourself, like trust yourself. And then we have this other side that's like, 
be, you know, like be objective, like use it to understand what's going on. And I feel like I like to encourage people to weigh themselves because, you know, like unpopular opinion, but like weighing yourself can actually improve your relationship with the scale. Um, and for, for me, it was just like that. I mean, that's what helped me. It was like getting to really be objective of like, why is the number doing that? Like, you know, there's so many things that we know that influence the scale, like sleep, digestion, stress, uh, you know, a training session, um, fat muscle. Um, and so being able to understand like, okay, if I can take these numbers and be objective about them and understand why they're doing things, then it, it just helps you just take emotion out of the equation. Oh no, absolutely. I think all that's very well put. I, I, I often like to explain this, like, Hey, the goal between fat loss phases, like if you are chasing continued physique development and improvement, like the goal is literally for us to get heavier, right? Cause if you go from one fat loss phase to the next and you weigh the exact same amount, probably we haven't built any muscle tissue and more or less mm-hmm. we're going to be the same place you were like a year ago or two years ago. Right. And that's typically mm-hmm. not what people want, but I think it is definitely something that I think as a coach, it's so important to constantly be reiterating to clients. Like this is what we want to see, right? Like the goal here is over time for us to get heavier to again, ensure that you're adding muscle. And then also just realizing that we can lose body fat a lot quicker than you can gain muscle. I think that's oftentimes a relief as well. Like let's say you go through a 10 month building phase and you gain 10 pounds, right? Mm -hmm. And over the course of that, let's say you gain just like five pounds of muscle, five pounds of fat realistically, like we could lose that five pounds of fat that you gained in five to seven weeks and you have an Mm -hmm. additional five pounds of muscle in your frame and your physique will have a different shape. Right. And I I think like just, but I think this isn't something again, like, as you said, so many people have just been like preached to their entire lives. Like they scale going down is the only way we're successful. It is just like such a different mindset to take on. Mm -hmm. No, totally. It's a, and it is tough, you know, because I, I think that it's like a lot of coaching and just navigating your fitness journey is so psychological, you know, it, it's being able to, to, you have to be able to take the emotion out of it and like, understand like, hey, you know, maybe um, like, whatever I'm do- whatever I've been doing isn't working, and I'm feeling really frustrated. So maybe I should try something different. Absolutely. I think that's such a good way to put it because I think that's a realization that most people like have to have before they're willing to commit to something that's uncomfortable with this. So on a similar note, another common trend in in a building phase is kind of these bad body image days where you just feel fluffy, you feel bloated. And we know like, Hey, maybe I'm only a couple weeks or maybe even a couple months into the building phase. And like, as we discussed, it does just take time to add significant muscle tissue to your frame. How do you personally or with clients kind of handle these bad body image days where it's like, man, I should really just go back to fat loss. I don't like love the way I feel right now. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think again, having those, like, so I have those weekly check-ins with my clients and just daily like check-ins, you know, where we can do voice memo back and forth or just like share what's coming up for them. Just because I do think that like, uh, again, we've been conditioned that, that if we're uncomfortable in our body, that our only option is to lose weight. And I think that, um, it's worth acknowledging like bad body image days. Like they don't only strike like when you're gaining weight, you know, that they're like, they happen all of the time. And so it's, 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 I think bad body image days, like they, they're always going to happen, but it's like, 
I think if we dig deeper into the why behind them and it's, it's likely nothing to do with your body, but maybe potentially something else. And so if someone's in a muscle building phase, for example, um, you know, potential reasons of why bad body image days could happen. I, I, you know, I, I've firsthand experienced this and I also do it with my clients, but, you know, maybe they put on some clothes that were a bit uncomfortable, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe they, uh, maybe they, um, maybe it's that time of the month. Like maybe they didn't sleep well, like maybe they overate or a little bit bloated from, uh, or full from like a meal that they ate, or, you know, maybe they are going through like a rough period in their life where they just feel out of sync with like their normal routine. Maybe they've been putting, um, a lot of stock into the scale number, you know, um, and, and a clothing size, like identifying like my worth or my happiness is in like size, small jeans or like, you know, whatever. Um, or like, for me, it was like going above 130 pounds, like on the scale, like it was basically anything over 130 was like my red flag kind of, you got to do something situation. Um, you know, maybe they, maybe bad body image days, is just like not feeling in control, like, um, potentially like, uh, again, I, I think that like fitness has all these different avenues and sides, but like, if someone's like learning to maybe change their tracking dynamic, if they're going from like tracking protein, carbs, and fats to like, protein and total calories, you know, like the, the, like maybe they feel like not as in control or if they've been incorporating maybe like a five, two approach, like, so it's worth checking in. Like, yeah, that could be a reason. Um, maybe they're comparing themselves to a, a past version of themselves or like someone on social media. Um, so I think bad body image days is just like worth checking in with like, you know, being curious about why it's happening and not being reactive. Cause again, that knee jerk reaction is like, I need to do something about this. Like I'm feeling uncomfortable, but I invite people to get curious about why am I feeling this way? Um, did something change? Um, did something happen? Um, and trying to like be more neutral and like, okay, I'm feeling uncomfortable. What can I do now that to, to show up for myself that isn't weight loss? Like, do I need to take a nap? do I, you know, need to eat like a, do I need to just like check in with my, the, the food that I've been eating? Do I need to drink some water? Do I need to like go for a walk? Um, so I think being able to check in with what you can do now to make you feel good and, um, you know, continuing to, again, a little bit of that woo woo side of fitness, but like appreciating yourself for, you know, how your body shows up for you and like what it can do. And, and I think if you're, if you're really focused on muscle building and like changing your physique, a lot of the emphasis has to be taken away from like how you're looking to more about how you're feeling and how you're performing. And, um, you know, while still, you know, I mean, I think to a certain extent, people who listen to this podcast or people who do fitness, like, I think it would be remiss to say that like everybody has some sort of vain goals in mind, like they want to look like they lift. And so, um, you know, I, I think that it's, kind of just like being like, okay, I'm investing in this period. Like I have to take almost two steps backwards in my mind to take those steps forward. Like I have to accept, like, I'm going to take a step backwards in my mind to focus on my performance and how I'm feeling and acknowledging that there is some discomfort there to truly get to where I want to get to like physically and aesthetically. So, um, yeah, but bad body images, man, they can be such a trip and it's just like, giving yourself some room, you know, to like process that and not trying to be reactive. I think that's wonderfully put, um, especially the piece about just not being reactive with it. Because as you said, like 
like your, your example of like for me for a long time, it was getting over 130 pounds. Right. And it's so easy to just like have that. Oh my gosh, I'm over 130. I have to like, I have to go into fat loss right now. Right. But actually I think as you said, it's so valuable to just like, I think can think of a couple of clients that we're talking through this, like, just this, this last week, we've been talking through this in check-ins where again, just like, as you said, just take some time to think about it and even ask like, okay, how has this thought process served me so far in my life? right? Like, mm-hmm. is this going to get me where I want to be? I think that's just more of awareness around it. And again, not just like, okay, I had this thought of like, I feel like less worth it or whatever it may be because I saw like X number on the scale. Like, is that really true? And again, just like taking time to dig into that. I feel like it's just such a valuable thing. So I want to take this to program design a bit further now as we really dug into the psychological side of this. Um, I wanted to get sure. your thoughts on exercise variety. How often, uh, I really, really love your content around programming. And as you mentioned, I know that if you have your program sustainably, you have to. And this is something, of course, you would do one-on-one clients as well. How, When it comes to exercise variety, how often do you like to, quote, unquote, change it up with your clients? And like any thoughts as to why we should or shouldn't change movements frequently? Yeah, totally. So I would say like my style of coaching, like it's definitely uh, – like almost like a power building style of training. Like I really dig okay. on um, like compound movements, like back squat, uh, deadlifts, bench press, but for people who are able, of course. Um, mm-hmm. But I like, I really dig on like performance based like thing uh, things, but then okay. I also really dig on like hypertrophy. So, um, okay. uh, so I kind of like, I know that deadlifts are like not the most hypertrophic of exercises, but it's fucking fun right. to go to the gym right. and like, lift heavy, you know, it's just fun. So I love the performance kind of element of a power building style of training. Um, but in terms of, you know, exercise selection, that's kind of the way I, that's like the direction I lean into it, but excuse me, as far as, uh, changing it up or like setting up training programs, like I'm a big fan of like not changing it up very often. Um, but, but enough so that you don't get bored. So like, Mm -hmm. for example, like if I was designing like a, maybe like a lower body, like a hinge workout, for example, like I would probably have us, you know, start out like with, like if we're, if our main compound was going to be like RDLs, for example, I would have us probably do that for like three training phases and then progress into something mm-hmm. else. So maybe we would start in like the little bit, like the higher hypertrophy range, maybe in like the 10 to 15 or like 10 to 12. And then the next training block, maybe we do six to eights. And then maybe we want to experiment with a little bit like neurological stuff and we do like a four to six. So, um, I, I typically try not to change things up, at least the bread and butter compounds, like, mm-hmm. um, block to block, but I, the accessories are kind of nice just because it, you want to have a little bit of spice. Like you want to have fun to go to the gym. Like I would say, you know, most of my clients, they're not like trying to compete, you know, they're, they're right. like trying to have some fun. They want to look like they lift and they also, you know, want to get strong. So, um, I think being able to like keep a, a, your main compound in there and as long as they're making progress with it and they're enjoying it and they're having fun, then, uh, you know, I don't really see the need to change it up too often. You could probably like stick to like 12 exercises your whole entire life and be totally <laughs> fine. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I agree. I think that there's like a lot of psychological component there and it sounds like we approach this pretty similarly where with like, in most any programs that we write, uh, 
it's going to be pretty rare that like your primary compound lifts were going to change more than like every, like at bare minimum two mesocycles, but really, really, I like to get like three or four mesocycles. But again, I think like within that as coaches, it's important to understand, like we can move through different rep ranges. We can move through different stimuli. And even like we can work through things like, Hey, maybe before we had just like this one lengthen overload movement, but now we're doing like a lengthen short and superset, right? Where it's still like the same mm-hmm movements within this but the stimulus is slightly different but i i I think we're very much on the same page there so then as far as soreness goes a lot of people feel like they don't get an effective workout at all they're not super sore afterwards now on the other end much of the evidence-based crowd tells us that soreness isn't needed at all to grow um what's your take on how sore we should or shouldn't be on a weekly basis Yeah, totally. I actually did a post on this a couple weeks ago. And I feel like I kind of sit in the middle with this. Like I do think that like soreness is like a 50 50 thing. Like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it it doesn't define a good workout. uh, And we know this, but if you're never sore, then you could be potentially missing out on gains. Um, I think it's like, you know, muscle soreness is an indicator of stimulating, right? If that's, if that's whether, whether that's like adding a new exercise, like introducing um, a new stimulus some way, like increasing training volume, intensity, a change in tempo. um, Yeah. Like, like really controlling that eccentric portion of the movement, like that is going to cause a lot of soreness as well as, you know, looking at the other side of the equation, like lack of sleep, nutrition. And so being able to like read between the lines of someone's soreness, like are like, what is, yeah, you're, I, I think that like, it's kind of one of those like old fitness myths that just needs to die, <laughs> you know, like, um, soreness is good. And that like, I think it's a cool, like confirmation of like, what I'm doing is working, <laughs> right, mm-hmm. that I'm challenging right. myself. But we know that muscle, like training comes from progressive overload and doing more work over time and adapting to a stimulus. And so I think in the first maybe like, if you have like a six week mezzo, like the first week or two, if you're like, I feel that like, I know I'm sore from that. It's because you're, you maybe introduce something, but the goal is to essentially get less sore over time. And if, but if you're like debilitatingly sore, then you're probably like doing too much or not recovering properly. And so, um, yeah, it, it's certainly not an indication of an effective workout, but it maybe is a little bit. Yeah, I, I fully agree. I think there's kind of like this fine line there. That's honestly not very well distinguished where like, if you're never sore anywhere where, and I mean, again, there could probably be an argument against this. Let's say you've done like the same training split with the exact same movements and rep ranges for like six years. Maybe you could continue to grow and you might not be super sore off. Even then, like, I feel like it's somewhat debatable because we would still be increasing load. And like, I think I, I really like to use like pump and disruption as metrics for like individual movements not like that either those are the end all be all like it's very similarly here like if we just chase pumps we could like get great pumps and not grow but i think like again if we have like a little bit of a pump and some disruption or basically like that sensation of like tightness and soreness and muscle after doing like three or four working sets i think those are both like good indicators we probably apply tension where it was meant to be right and i know i know for me personally and i've seen this a lot with clients as well like if you are like doing a hack squat and you don't feel anything in your quads at all after that, like there's probably some type of disconnect between like your execution and movement. We're probably not actually getting the desired stimulus on a different Mm -hmm. note. Do you have any muscle groups that you feel like are never sore? Uh, personally, um, I, I'm, you know, 
I, I feel like every, cause I'm training like to the, I, I feel like, again, I'm training, training to the correct intensity that I should be. Mm-hmm. If I'm doing an exercise I haven't done for a hot minute, like, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm always like a little bit sore. Like I, I think mm-hmm. that there's, I'm always going to feel like, ah, not, maybe not sore, but like if I like do a little stretch or a little flex, like I'm like, that feels tired. Like I know that yeah. that's tired, but yeah. um, maybe not like, like not that, you know, the typical, like I can't get up help me unfall in kind of sore, but like, okay, okay. I, I can, I can feel that. Yeah. I agree. I feel like you should typically like be able to tell again, like this is, I don't want to just overgeneralize this, but I would say like typically you should be able to tell that you like somewhat worked, uh, the whatever muscles that you were trying to train. Uh, I think Brian Borstein said this. I don't want to like um, I don't want to like put this incorrectly and like attribute this to him. So my bad if that's not correct. But I think like I heard him discussing this idea that like, like the next one to two days after a training session, if there's like a little bit of soreness, we can like tell we worked the muscle group. There's probably, it's probably a good sign. Of, like, Hey, we disrupted it. We're probably did the right amount. If it's like three days and longer where you're just hella sore, that's probably a good sign that we did too much. I really like that. I thought that was kind of like a simple way to break it down. That's like, Mm. I would say probably pretty accurate. Yeah. Know. No, totally. I, I, I think that like that, it, it, again, it, it kind of just depends on like someone's like container and like how they're supporting themselves. But like, mm-hmm. I, I personally feel like I'm sort of a, like a 48 hour, like Dom's kind of a person. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I mean, I'll feel it like, I, I think the, the onset of soreness too, like if it's immediately post-workout and you're like debilitatingly sore, then you probably <laughs> did something too hard. That's a good point. But if, it's yeah. like, but if you, if it's like, you know, 12 hours later, like that night, you're like, all right, like something. And then the next morning, Ooh, okay. And then, uh, but if it's like past like the 48 hours, like it's probably too much. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. I feel like personally, it's funny. I, uh, I actually did, this is like something that happened to me, like an overtraining experience that I had that I didn't expect to happen. So back in like 2017, I actually was into like, I was really into like the bodybuilding scene and I had won this really cool trip down to the uh, LA Fit Expo with um, Eva Jen Nutrition. I had like won a contest and I got to go down there and train with um, IP pro like Jeremy Buendina and like Alicia Coates and uh, Lauren Finley. And I did a workout with, with Hani Rambod at um, the Metroflex, (laughs) which it was cool. Like it was a cool experience, but we did, um, we did like a shoulder pump. We did an upper body workout. I did it with Lauren and um, you know, basically you know, I, again, it was cool to get this training experience, but we basically just like took things to like lift, like we did the FST seven. I'm not sure if you're familiar yeah. with that, yeah. but we did FST seven and <laughs> I like, I mean, I'm, I'm extremely competitive. Like I had to keep up with everything, but I was so freaking sore like that, like after the training session. And then I woke up in the middle of the night, like, and I was like <laughs> in pain and I had knew that I had like over, I had way over trained, I'd way over pushed myself. And I mean, it's, again, it's fun to experiment and do that, but like certainly not an everyday training experience. Right. Right. And that's, I would have definitely done the same thing in that experience. But again, that's the point where like, Hey, this isn't actually like as productive as if maybe we've done a little bit less <laughs> and like split this volume up into two or three sessions instead. Okay. So that was just, I, I, we kind of got off on a tangent there, but I think that's helpful. Um, so I wanted to wrap this chat up 
digging into reverse dieting a bit, as I feel like it's something that we see misapplied quite a bit in the fitness industry. So to kick this off, we kind of have two approaches where one, there is like within a reverse diet, like, okay, the diet base is over. We're basically jumping right back up the maintenance ASAP. On the other hand, we have like the, hey, we're going to slowly reverse diet out of this deficit by adding in like 50 to 100 calories every week for X amount of mm-hmm. weeks. And oftentimes it's like eight to 12 weeks. Um, what's your preference between those two? Yeah, great question. I think again, it's just like meeting the individual where they're at, like on a psychological level, like from a mm-hmm. purely like physical standpoint, right? It, taking weeks to get back up to maintenance, like is simply like sustaining the deficit um, from kind of longer than necessary. Like I think uh, from, yeah, from a physical standpoint, but from a psychological standpoint, which a lot of fitness is, I think um, you have to meet that person where they're at. Like what was their background? They, maybe they've lost this weight and they're really nervous to like, cause after you, the, the diet, the, the weight that you end your deficit at is not going to be the weight that you can just live effortlessly. I don't think at like, um, you're, you're not going to be able to stay in that depleted like state. So, um, I think personally, I like to do a bit of a faster approach. Um, like Mm -hmm. I would say two, four weeks max, um, Mm -hmm. to, to get back up to your like new projected maintenance fast or slow. I guess it just, again, it really just depends. Like whether you go fast or whether you go slow, you're still going to arrive at the same place. Um, so having, again, if it's someone's like first time ever reverse dieting, maybe we'll take the slower approach, a little bit more methodical. Um, but if it's someone who's like maybe done a building phase or two, then if they're cool with it, you know, accepting that like, Hey, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm ready to get back to eating good and training hard, then, uh, let's do it. Absolutely. I just from the context of this conversation, I think that you, it sounds like you do a very, very good job, like taking the psychological considerations all this into account where I feel like it's so easy to just like what's like the most evidence based way for us to approach that. Okay. Everybody should like, why is the same time? That's it. Um, I, I think we're pretty in alignment there. So can you, I, you had a post recently about reverse dieting that I really enjoyed. Um, can you give us an example of how or why you often see reverse dieting misapplied? If you don't feel like we already kind of touched on that. Yeah. I mean, kind of to what you said is that I just feel that like maybe it's overhyped in the fitness space of like being this like magical, like cure all thing to like, it's going to boost your metabolism. And it's going to like, I mean, certainly there are benefits to eating more food and having more energy. Um, but I think maybe it's just, just overhyped in that, like, okay, you have to add 50 calories back a week or whatever. I mean, maybe that can be like appropriate for someone who's like, incredibly OCD, like analytical type a, like, and they enjoy Mm -hmm. that aspect of the data. Um, and, but I, 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 again, with coaching and just like my philosophy in general is like, I'm not a macros based coach. Like I wouldn't advertise myself as that. I'm like an informed eating coach. If that's tracking macros, if that's tracking habits, if whatever that looks like, we'll build an approach that makes the most sense for you. And so, um, in terms of like, reverse dieting it's uh yeah i i think that like it's often misapplied and that like people do it too slow and they just like kind of waste time that they could just be like feeling better to be honest yeah no absolutely um so within this what are the signs they're typically looking for like with a client you are reverse dieting like hey it's probably time for us to stop the reverse diet 
Yeah, I mean, I think it could probably, you could categorize it into like a couple different categories um, just because like reverse dieting isn't always like just reserved for like periodized fat loss. I think that like Mm -hmm. first, like it, so I think if I had to like break it up, I would say, um, who do I think should reverse diet? I would say someone who's achieved their fat loss goal, right? And their, but their calories are too low to sustain Mm -hmm. and they need to get back to up to maintenance. Um, Let's say, on a, on a more extreme level, like their fat loss goal has also been achieved, but it's like post contest, for example, like they've done a bodybuilding prep and, um, they've done an extreme, like six, nine month deficit where they've, um, they need like more recovery there. So Mm -hmm. that, that may be a more appropriate case for a slow reverse diet, right? Like if they've gone like four or five months eating, you know, 14, 1500 calories with a decent amount of expenditure, they may, need to like decrease their expenditure and increase their calories, maybe like hundred every two weeks kind of a situation. I don't, I don't like the idea of like doing like the 20, 50 calorie jumps. Like I prefer just like, okay, hundred calorie jumps or 200 calorie jumps. But um, again, it just depends on how depleted this person is. Um, another one is like maybe someone does a, has a fat loss goal, but it's not achieved and the calories are just kind of unsustainably low. Like they've done a bit of yo-yo dieting um, or maybe, you know, not even to do with fat loss, but let's say that they don't have an immediate fat loss goal, but they are just someone who's, um, have, has just a desire to increase, increase their like metabolic capacity, right? Like they, Mm -hmm. they, they, they feel like ass, uh, they, uh, they, yeah, they just want to just feel better. (laughs) So having more energy to perform, like they want to have a a potential fat loss phase in the future, or they want to build muscle. So, or they just want to be able to eat more calories. So I think a reverse diet could apply there. Um, and then another one is too, is like maybe they've ended a fat loss phase or maybe their goal wasn't achieved, but now they just want to focus on building muscle. Okay. Okay. So then within that, what are typically the signs that you're looking for that it's time to stop? Yeah. A lot of it I think is going to be like reading between the lines, right? Like looking at someone's biofeedback and then also like, um, their, wins for the week like just how they're feeling in general but i would say like Mm -hmm. green flags of like when it's time to stop reverse dieting is probably like when they're comfy with the amount of food that they're eating um they have decent like biofeedback across the board like their energy is high their recovery is good they're sleeping well digestion is looking pretty solid pardon the pun there and um you know like they're they've had it like maybe consistent weight gain and like we've kind of reached a point now where like yeah we've been adding enough food at this point. Like maybe we're trending like into a little bit more fat kind of gain area. And the thing that's tough about this, it's not like there's like this magical unicorn pot that sits outside your front door when it's the day to stop reverse dieting. (laughs) You know, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you don't know until you know, and you may overshoot it a hair, but like we were saying earlier, it's like, if you, um, if you overshoot it like a little bit, you know, the good thing is about our bodies is that it's not like a immediate, like one plus one equals two thing. It's usually like a spectrum of things and you just kind of recalibrate a little bit and it might take a week or two. But again, the perspective of the coach to like talk you through that is game changer. <laughs> Absolutely. And the, the biofeedback is just such an important piece of that as well, where I think it's easy to like, especially if you just got shredded and understanding like, Hey, you might need to gain some body fat back, right? For some individuals, that'll mean like, okay, I am seeing the scale go up consistently, but I still feel terrible, right? Like 
libidos in the tank like my sleep is bad my training performance all these things are suffering like sometimes it might be the case of like hey we do just need to add a little bit more body back back for health i just think like but no i i think you did a wonderful job summing that up so um before i let you go here this was a great conversation i think this would be so helpful for the listeners um will you just tell everybody where they can find you and anything at all you'd like to plug yeah absolutely it's been a blast chatting with you um so again you won't find any other ones. My name is Ocean Trail I'm on the gram. <laughs> um, you, I, I have everything linked up in my bio in there, but I also have a website. It's I Evolve Fitness, like iPad, but like I Evolve Fitness uh, .com. Um, I also recently, like I said, launched my uh, Strength and Hypertrophy Progressive Training Program, uh, Sustainably Jacked. I have a three day option and a four day option. Um, Cause I don't think training more than that is necessary if you're trying to make it sustainable. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, you, I mean, catch me on the gram. That's where I'll be. Perfect. I will link all that up in the show notes. And again, thank you for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.